0: Good morning. In yesterday's devotional, we heard Paul say that there was a man in the church that they needed to discipline by turning him over to Satan in the hopes that his soul would be saved. I recognize for some, this command by Paul seems to be the antithesis of what the church ought to be. Some believe that the church should be accepting and tolerant and never pronounce judgment on anyone, especially judgment that seems so harsh. What Paul will make clear in 1 Corinthians is that the church should be a place where those who do not know Christ and are struggling with their sin find grace and mercy in the way that Jesus showed mercy to sinners. But it should also be a place where those who profess the name of Christ are encouraged and helped to grow in holiness, which includes discipline for those who refuse to live in a manner that is consistent with their confession. Remember, Jesus also told people to go and sin no more. This does not mean that the church is in the business of keeping a running tally of people's sins, or that they are to dig into every nook and cranny of a person's life to find secret or hidden sin. The kind of sin Paul is addressing is of a certain kind. First of all, it was well known. What this man in Corinth was doing was known by the community, including, it seems, the larger community in Corinth, not just the church. They simply chose to do nothing about it. This man's sin was persistent wasn't the case of a one-time slip-up or someone who struggled with the sin, but they were trying to overcome it. This man had been committing this sin for some time, at least enough time that word of it began to spread. And finally, the man wasn't repentant. A lack of repentance either indicates a hard heart or that the sin has been accepted as normative or not sinful and thus doesn't need to be repented of. The church exists in part to show sinners the way of salvation so they can overcome their sin and live as lights to the world. To allow sin to persist results in significant and devastating consequences. In the passage we will consider today, Paul reveals what happens when the church does not discipline a member who professes Christ, but refuses to repent of their sin and walk in holiness. Listen now as I read First Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6-8. through 8. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you are already unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul begins by again confronting their arrogance, telling them that their boasting was not good. We don't know the exact nature of their boast, but given the broader context, context, they must have thought they were being wise in their decision to allow this sin to continue without confronting the man guilty of it. It certainly seems that they were guilty of a similar sin that Paul addresses in Philippians when he says, Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Some in Philippi had fallen away from the faith and had set their minds on earthly things. And when they set their minds on earthly things, they also gloried in their shame. The thing they should have been ashamed of, they gloried in it. This is exactly what the Corinthians were doing. Paul said they should be mourning the sin that was present in their midst, but instead they arrogantly accepted it. They gloried in their shame. After rebuking their arrogance, Paul issues a warning in the form of a question. Ultimately, the question he is asking and answering is this. What happens if the church doesn't purge itself of sinful members? The answer is that the entire church becomes infected by that sin. Paul says that sin is like leaven. Leaven is a bit of dough that is retained from the time of the last baking. When it was time to bake new bread, this leaven would be mixed with water and flour to ferment the new dough so that it would rise. Once the leaven was introduced, it would spread quickly throughout all of the dough. Even though it was small, it quickly affected the whole loaf. Whatever was present in the leaven would spread quickly through the new loaf. Sin works in the same way. When a little bit is introduced, it quickly spreads, and the entire church is affected. It is therefore impossible for the church to overlook persistent, unrepented of sin, without bringing harm to the entire body. What does Paul say they must do? He gives two exhortations which are rooted in the Old Testament celebration of the Passover. The first is to throw out the old leaven. This is certainly in reference to the sinful member, but it is also a call to think differently about who they are in Christ. The Passover celebration helps picture this change that Paul wanted them to make. When Israel celebrated the Passover, they were, to ri- they were to rid their house of leaven for a time and eat unleavened bread. This symbolically represented their freedom from bondage, forgiveness of sin, and their new life. The old was being thrown away so that the new could come. With the old leaven out, they would start a new lump. Paul wanted them to be a new lump. This means understanding and embracing the fact that the sanctifying work of the Spirit begins to work in believers to make them holy. Paul wants the new life they have in Christ to permeate the church and not the old life of sin and bondage. He then tells them that they really are unleavened. Christ had freed them from the penalty and power of sin. That is why he says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And that salvation needed to be evident in the way they lived together as the body of Christ. To not address the sin of one who professes Christ is to deny the power of the gospel to transform lives. Salvation is not merely something that saves us in the future. It begins that work in the here and now. The second exhortation is that they were to celebrate the festival. He's not telling them to actually celebrate the Passover. He's speaking figuratively. He is telling them that their lives should be lived as a celebration of what the Passover symbolized, namely the forgiveness of sin. They are not to celebrate with old leaven. The old leaven has been thrown out and because the Passover lamb has been slain. The old leaven represents malice and evil. After the first Passover, the nation of Israel was freed from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Once freed it would be ridiculous to go back into bondage. For the Corinthians, they were to celebrate with sincerity and truth. This is what the new leaven contains. It is really important that as members of the Church of Christ, we emphasize the Bible's teaching concerning God's mercy revealed in the gospel, namely that we are saved by grace through faith apart from works of the law. But it is equally important that we emphasize that when we are saved by this grace, we are given new life and commanded to live differently. Dietrich Bonhoeffer recognized the danger of not preaching about this new life in Christ, and he saw the effect of this kind of teaching. This kind of teaching produced a church that was utterly unprepared to stand up to the godlessness of the Nazis. He called the proclamation of forgiveness without a call for a changed life, cheap grace. In the cost of discipleship, he said, Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. Yet, it is imperative for the Christian to achieve renunciation, to practice self-effacement, to distinguish his life from the life of the world. He must let grace be grace indeed. This week, the GCL prayer team has asked us to pray for Cheryl Cruz, Carol Ton, Trent Willoughby, Megan Simon, and Vanessa Petty. And when we're done praying, today I would encourage you to go to the GSB Hymn playlist on Spotify and listen to Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. Join me now as we pray. Father, we thank you for the grace that saved us. We thank you for the indwelling of your spirit who helps us to live godly and holy lives. And I pray that we would take this command seriously. It's not being unloving to call people to repentance. It's not being unloving to expect those who profess Christ to live that way. Help us to see that that's actually the most loving thing that we can do. Father, for those uh, teachers, substitute teachers, administrators that I've just mentioned today, I pray that you would bless them, uh, that whatever it is that they are uh, dealing with in their lives, you know them, you know their hearts, you know what's going on. pray that you would give them grace and mercy, that you would help them to, to overcome whatever challenges they have, and that they would be able to rejoice in the way that you have blessed them. Thank you for this day. I pray that you would bless it, and that you would help us and equip us to be the people you've created us in Christ Jesus to be. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.